It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On today's episode of Locked On Raptors, it's a mailbag edition. We have a ton of great questions from the listeners out there from which skill development has been the most surprising within the Raptors ranks this season? Does Fred Van Vliet have the legs to survive through a postseason run? All that and so much more coming up on today's mailbag edition of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of Hail Mary 3 by Mo Pete. Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1148 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, March the 30th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And of course, you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast in audio form. You can subscribe to, follow, rate, review, all the good stuff that they ask you to do on those apps to support the shows you like. Plus, you can go to YouTube and hit the big red subscribe button over there. Over 1,750 subs. Let's push it towards 2K before the playoffs. And I appreciate all those who have subscribed lately. We've had a nice little boost of uh, people jumping on board. So thank you. Welcome. And uh, sorry, you have to look at my face every day. All right. Uh, on today's show, which is, of course, your first list of the day, every day, we are going to dive into... Some mailbag questions. We got a lot of great questions from the listeners out there, as we usually do, and we'll dive into a good number of them today. If you sent questions in, thank you. I love you. You're wonderful. We probably won't get to all of them, but we'll do our darndest. So let's begin with the way I feel like the ceremonial beginning of every uh, mailbag podcast comes in the form of questions from our pal Freddie Revis, who is a regular uh, listener and guest on the podcast and a constant question asker. He always asks at least two or three good ones. Uh, we'll begin with this one, which is a really, really interesting one. And I think you could go a whole lot of different directions with it. So we will start with Freddie Revis uh, asking, what single player's skill development has surprised you the most this year? Could be Precious hitting threes. Could be Gary becoming good on defense. This is a great question because, as a couple of people in the replies to that question kind of noted, there's a, this is a rich category. There's been a lot of stuff that a lot of members of the Raptors have gotten better at. You could kind of go down the list, honestly, of every player on the team and think of something that's either developed new this season or over the course of this season since the beginning of it. Uh, you know, I even think of like Scotty Barnes, for example, who I think has come a long way, especially as like an off-ball help side defender, a guy who can be like your back line of defense, playing center in a lot of situations. Like that is some legitimate real skill improvement over the course of the season where he just was not equipped for that at all 
to begin the year. And he still has his shortcomings defensively, as you would expect most 20-year-old rookies to have. But that is certainly a contender. I, I think even Pascal Siakam, there have been things that he has just leveled up with this season. I think the playmaking has gone to a new level compared to where it was last season. And I think his mid-range game where he he is now kind of established that that's just his go-to counter when he's going to run in to those walls of bodies when teams are really gearing up to stop him and packing the paint. Like, that has been a really delightful surprise to see as well, a thing that he's kind of busted out. His three-point shooting has bounced back this season as well. I don't know if you want to say that's a skill development thing as much as it is just sort of a regression to the mean type thing after last year. But, you know, there's been a lot with Pascal to be excited about. I also think, like, it's been quiet. But OG Ananobi has become a better player. I think his post game has become a real weapon for the Raptors. Obviously, we haven't seen a ton of it since he got back from injury just a couple games ago. But I do think that's going to be a thing they go to because this Raptors team is designed to go and hammer mismatches when they present themselves because of the size they have. Because more or less, everybody can at least make a move with the ball, at least in the starting five. You know, the, the bench guys, I've... I've been feeling left a little wanting when it comes to like precious achua's post up he's such a strong guy you, you can't seem to move anybody with his ass he's like the anti kyle lowry um you know so it mostly is reserved for the starting five guys who are going to be able to hit those mismatches but og along with barnes and siakam feels like one of the kind of key guys if they are going to play mismatch ball, which they seem very comfortable doing, they seem to be throwing the concept of assist percentage out the window because why take why have a middleman? Why pass it around when you can just take a six foot eight, six foot nine dude, barrel into the chest of a smaller defender and score at the rim pretty easily? Uh, so I think that post game for OG is going to be something that specifically in the playoffs, as teams gear up for Pascal Siakam, as teams are sending extra length and size to Fred VanVleet, which has kind of been a proven way to at least limit his impact in a postseason setting. OG's post-ups, along with like Scotty Barnes' typical ISO game and his weird bouncy, as our friend Samson Folk uh, calls him, the battle toad, uh, you know, it, that's obviously going to be big too. But I think OG's post-ups are going to be massive. And that's been a real significant improvement just in, a, in terms of like a thing he's trying out he's not perfect at it by any means he's still leaving a little bit wanting when it comes to passing out of those doubles and whatnot but he's also just really really strong and he seems to have kind of channeled that strength into a spot on the floor where it really can be used to his advantage so that's a good one i mean gary Trent jr obviously not just the pickpocketing of threes and stuff like that but i think like his slow emergence as more than just a three-point guy you know the mid-range game has always kind of been there but it's been a little bit more refined this season I think it's been like a clear counter to teams running him off the line he's not getting to the rim a ton of course but I just think the overall sort of improvement in Gary Trent Jr.'s on-ball creation while he's probably never going to be a number one option who is the offensive engine for any team uh, I think there have been really tangible improvements there too so again rich category I think I have to come down to one of two options here, though. One is Precious Achua shooting threes. I, I mean, with the way he was bricking stuff from everywhere on the floor, not just threes, but also uh, layups early on in the season, it was really hard to envision a world in which Precious Achua becomes this three-point bombing, you know, spread five, right? Like, it, it is a pretty remarkable transformation he's undergone. I mean, he's averaging... 13 and seven since the all-star break on 40% three-point shooting. And he's one of the highest volume guys on the team in that time. Like it is a massive change. And look, I don't want to go and say that he's for sure a 40% three-point shooter now, 
we know three-point shooting takes time to stabilize and you'll see ups and downs you'll see oscillations and you typically need like a thousand professional three-pointers to really kind of get a gauge of what a guy's going to be and then even then a guy can improve as his career goes on and so I'm not going to say for sure that Precious Achua is going to walk into the postseason, for example, and become a 40% three-point shooter who's swinging games with two made threes a game that you just absolutely need. You know, that's a lot to put on a guy. There's a very much a situation that could pass here where the postseason comes and things get a little more difficult and young Precious Achua starts missing some threes and it's not going to mean it's the end of him as a three-point shooter. It just means that development's non-linear and all of that, but... That has been an absolute game changer and has totally changed my long-term vision for Precious Achua and what he can be within this team. It's made him, I think, very clearly a uh, pretty indispensable part of this core, unless you're making some kind of big swing trade, um, which, hey, is to be pointed out, if there is a disgruntled superstar who comes available, Precious Achua is now a very, very interesting guy to potentially include in one of those trades. We don't got to talk about that, that right now because we're enjoying the fun, cool team as they're playing fun, cool basketball right now. But it's all part of this Raptors building plan is to have good players on hand so that when the opportunity strikes to potentially add a great player, you have stuff to go the other way. And Precious Achua, I, I think, is very much just like the three-point shooting has totally changed his outlook, and that is incredible. It's been totally surprising as well. That's number two for me. Number one, I have to say, is just the overall transformation of Chris Boucher. I mean, this guy has gone from someone who I could not have been lower on the last couple seasons, and I think it was justified the last couple seasons, mind you. Like, it's not like he has been the same player this year as he has been in years past, and I'm just catching on to how good he is. No, he's completely altered the type of player that he is. Back in 2019-20, even 2018-19, like going all the way back to when he was playing with the G League team, he always felt like a guy who you know, had the capacity to put up really big numbers on a not-so-good team, wasn't really making winning plays, was not a reliable defender at all, constantly out of position, always chasing blocks that were leading to, you know, you know, missed rotations on the backside and easy buckets for the other team at the basket. Huge reason why the Raptors were so bad defensively last season is that Chris Boucher played a lot, and he was not cut out for the job whatsoever specifically as like a small ball center which he was asked to play quite a bit because that team was uh woefully ill-equipped but he has completely altered the type of player he is he has channeled energy he has become a really really reliable defender who's still capable of those big flashy sexy plays but he's doing it in a more controlled way and he's just like positionally very sound now you combine that with the fact that he's become this offensive rebounding wizard, which is kind of a slept-on skill from a past age of the NBA, and he has become just a killer. Like, the Raptors, one of their biggest strengths, one of the reasons they're able to win games is because they win the possession battle, and their possession battle gaming that they've been doing all season long is not possible without Chris Boucher really targeting in on, okay, I'm just going to be the guy who grabs every single offensive rebound and that's just how it's going to be like he's completely altered himself into a winning player, someone who you're comfortable with, someone who I'm constantly like itching to get into games because he's not starting, obviously. And I, I think that's fine. I think it's fine coming off the bench in the role that he's coming off of it in. You know, I'm still finding myself like, oh, let's get the Boucher time. Let's get the chaos boys in there and see what they can do. Let's see what kind of uh, fun chaos hijinks they can get up into 
today. And that it's just been a delight to watch. I'm so, so happy for Chris Boucher. He's doing this in a contract season. He's going to get paid. He's going to continue to be an NBA player, which look, I was not 100% convinced that he was going to get some NBA level contract, maybe like a minimum deal somewhere after this season. But coming into the year, I was pretty low on the prospects for Chris Boucher based on his just lack of a track record of winning type basketball. Totally different now. So for me, in the very long roundabout way to answer this question, that is to me the biggest and most surprising skill development this season is just Chris Boucher altering his outlook completely to become a really, really excellent bench big who I love to watch. He's just an absolute delight. We're going to continue on here. We have more questions to get to from you, the listeners. We're going to talk about Fred Van Vliet and his legs. We're going to talk about annoying guys who have bothered the Raptors. We're going to talk about the postseason rotation. whole bunch more coming up in just one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. you got to check out Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy for the basketball and other sports fan in your life. Maybe you're talking about you. Either way. It's easy to use. You can pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you against the projected numbers. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, and Prize Picks is safe. It also offers fast withdrawals, so you can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play and start playing today. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of. You got points scored, rebounds, even steals. Plus, you can do mixed sport entries. So maybe you're a baseball head and you want to put some money down on Vlad Jr. to hit some home runs and go over his projections and you want to do the same for basketball players and their projections, you can do that. And the best part is that there's no shadow expert sitting behind the screen. You just are up against the projected numbers the way it's supposed to be. You're not competing against the whole world. You're just competing against one set of projections and your own ability to guess whether the player is going to go over or not. For a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive offer as well. It's a no-brainer of a deal for all of our users. You can get $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point. You must use the code NBA to do that. That's right. This is an exclusive offer for Locked On fans. Sign up today. Use the code NBA for $50 bucks for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point at prize picks daily fantasy made easy. Go check them out. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, diving into some more mailbag questions from the good people out there. This one comes from uh, at Azuri, who uh, asks a question that's very, very uh, meaningful and important to the Raptors' chances this season. Do you think Fred Van Vliet's legs will last through the playoffs? He seems hella gassed. Look, <laughs> it sucks that this is kind of where we are right now. There's seven games left in the season, just a couple of weeks. I don't really know where things stand with Fred Van Vliet. I don't think anyone outside of Fred Van Vliet and the Raptors medical staff truly knows what's going on with his knee. And is there a prognosis that is in any way positive that's possible here? Considering, you know, we're, we're 75 games in an NBA season. Guys get banged up. There's not a lot of time to recuperate, not a lot of time to recover. And the, the you know, things that are kind of typically not what you'd see late in the season, which is, you know, competitive basketball and like a race for the playoffs. The Raptors have not really had this in a long time. 
this makes it so they kind of have to actually try down the stretch. And having Fred Van Vliet is a benefit to their attempts to try. That's just how it is. He's a very good player. We even see when he's not looking his best in a game like on, on Monday against the Celtics, he can hit two massive threes for you, get a couple huge steals, and he is making a tangible positive impact. You know, I do think that the cushion is a little bit more there because of what we've seen from the rest of the team, right? If we're talking at the early part of this year where Fred was like the engine of everything that was good for the Raptors, yeah, they would, they would be totally screwed and be really worried about Fred's health. And, you know, if he wasn't at 100%, you know, I don't think we'd be talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, w without the other development around him that we've seen in the back, ha back half of the season, I don't think we're talking about this team as like a scary postseason team if it's being led by a hobbled Fred Van Vliet. Instead, he's occupying way more of an off-ball role right now and I think that's good. I think a Pascal Siakam has just been like very clearly the best player on the Raptors for four months now. Like he, he just, that's, and I, I think he was always the best player on the Raptors, the most talented player on the Raptors. I don't think that ever changed. He's just been showing it uh, pretty uh, emphatically, I would say over the last few months here. And I think because he is able to take on such a burden with the offense and because his personal gravity, whenever he's a threat to score, is opening stuff up for everybody else, and he's able to deliver the ball to them in those spots. I think that makes the lack of Fred on the ball, like Fred's on ball presence, not like good for sure, but it's a little bit more sustainably, uh, you know, you can survive and sustain without 100% peak Fred Van Vliet because of what Siakam is doing. You throw in the fact that OG and Gary Trent Jr. and Scotty Barnes can all do a little bit with the ball. Thad Young has been a nice little playmaking addition too. I feel like you can fill the gaps a little bit. It would be nice to have Malachi Flynn around as well. It might even be more of sort of a bomb for that issue. But I, I do think, look, the Raptors, if they're going to go on any sort of surprising playoff run, second round, whatever, I, I think they need Fred Van Vliet to be something better than he's been recently. Like he, he just has to be. It's going to be a sore spot the teams are going to pick at in the postseason for sure, whether it's he's too slow defensively, whether they realize he doesn't have the burst offensively. So they're happy to make any sort of switch. You know, they'll put a slow lumbering big on him and not feel too worried about and just kind of maintain the integrity of their defense. Like there's a lot of concerns here for sure. Um, but I do think they're a little bit more sort of steeled against that because they've kind of really leaned into this just everybody else a six foot nine ball and have really seemed to thrive with it lately i think there's a little bit more cushion here so you know do i know if fred's legs are gonna last i can't really answer the question that way like i don't know i i'm not in the the medical room i'm not alex mckechnie but i i do think if it does kind of trend the way it seems like it's trending where we're not going to see a 100 fred van vliet let's put it this way the last time we saw a Raptors point guard really break down before a postseason after carrying a huge load was 2014-15 when the Raptors go in and get swept by the Wizards. Uh, I don't know if everyone was even watching the team at that time. It was kind of early in the We the North era. Maybe people caught on a little bit later around the title. That's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if you remember that season, that was a year where it wasn't just Kyle Lowry kind of breaking down over the season. That was a red flag. You had DeMar DeRozan just really not carrying the efficiency that you really wanted, the playmaking that he's kind of adapted and evolved into now. Like he never had that in his bag back in 2015. They were so dependent on like Lou Williams to carry the day for that team off the bench in a lot of situations. It was not great. Like that was when you go back and look at that roster in 2014, 15, it was not a particularly uh, inspiring group. I mean, it just wasn't. When you look at it now, though, like 
this is not the same situation where one guy goes down and nobody else is there to fill in the gaps. I mean, the Raptors have a pretty solid stable of guys right now. The point I was making yesterday on the podcast with Vivek about how, you know, the Raptors now have seven or eight guys who all play the same style, who they're comfortable playing with. That matters. That that gives them depth and versatility of options and lineup choices and things like that and backup options if Fred Van Vliet is not 100%. And so, yeah, I, I think there's a world here where the Raptors go into the postseason. Maybe they don't have the ultimate ceiling with not 100% Fred Van Vliet, but because of the way Siakam's playing, because of the way they've adopted the identity of the team, there's still a chance for them to win a round if he's at 80% or 75%. If he's like not playing or anything like that, Things get trickier. The half-court offense becomes gummed up. But if you just have him out there as like a guy who's going to run a handful of pick-and-rolls a game and then also be an off-ball catch-and-shoot guy, that I think you can live with for now because he's still going to be a pretty good defender and you have different defensive options. If someone's giving him trouble, you can hide him on someone less dangerous and throw OG on the main guy or something like that. Uh, good question, though. We'll continue on here and get to the next question, which comes from Khalil underscore Deadpool. Uh, asking, assuming Nick Nurse runs an eight-man playoff rotation, assume the seven uh, usuals. Uh, assume the seven are the usuals. Uh, so, of course, the starting five plus Precious and Ken Birch. Make a case for Thad, Kem, Brooks, Banton, and Flynn as the eighth guy uh, for for being the eighth man in that playoff rotation. And which matchups would you want them each as the eighth man? This is a good question. I think at this point, Thad pretty clearly is going to be in there. Like I think he has to be. I think his defense, his wits, his connectivity all really valuable things, especially in a shortened rotation where he's going to mostly be playing with the better players on the Raptors. Um, you know, maybe spelling a Pascal or a Scotty or, or a Fred Van Vliet or something like that for a little while and slotting in in starter heavy lineups. He seems like a perfect piece to have in your rotation. So I would kind of say like he's the obvious guy. When you come up against other teams, obviously like the Sixers, if you were to play the Sixers, that presents the need for at least a big body to throw at Joel Embiid. So Ken Birch probably becomes a pretty big piece of that series. Um, you know, if you get to a series where, you know, it could just be any series, right? Maybe it's the Celtics, maybe it's the Bucks, whoever. But if you get into a series where, uh, you know, Fred Van Vliet's having trouble with his health or just with the length that you kind of see from opposing teams, I, I wonder if maybe that's where a Malachi Flynn comes in. If he's healthy, we don't know what his situation is just yet, but he's got a little bit more, you know, pep in his step, I would say, a little fresher legs than Fred Van Vliet. Maybe he can give you a bit of a burst. Uh, or maybe you just, you know, sell out and go huge the whole time. And that's your counter to Fred having trouble with length is you just, all right, well, all our whole team is length now and Pascal's the point guard. And you're going to deal with it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I would be pretty surprised if we saw Delano Banton get in uh, to the playoff rotation. He just seems pretty prone to mistakes. And, um, you know, his moments of effectiveness are pretty fleeting because I think teams kind of figure out the book on him pretty quickly. Like, oh, this guy's real fast and likes to run can't really shoot we can deal with this eventually his handle's a little bit loose he does like the behind the back thing and we know that we can scout and prepare for that i don't think we'll see a lot of banton maybe in like a, all right we just desperately need some energy type of situation but i don't really see that being a thing that um you know it's super common for the raptors in the postseason um and, and armani brooks i think you know there was another question about brooks and whether or not you know, the question was from our friend Caleb Latrell, who's asked, or Latrell, excuse me if I mispronounce your name, but the question was essentially, Brooks didn't play against the Celtics. Was that a playoff-ready rotation, or was that them hiding Armani Brooks? 
And all respect to Armani Brooks, I don't think you're hiding Armani Brooks from anybody. I think he's just a guy who fills in and catches and shoots threes, and that's fine. Um, I don't think we'll see a ton of him in the postseason unless, again, it really calls for, oh, God, they're getting destroyed by a zone, which has been less of an issue lately, uh, and they're getting zoned up to hell, and they need someone to just come in and fire some threes. Maybe that's a situation where it happens, kind of a Matt Thomas break glass in case of emergency, but with defense. Uh, but I don't think we'll see a ton of Armani Brooks. So, yeah, Thad Young, to me, is kind of the clear eight, number eight, and then – uh, if Malachi Flynn's healthy, he's probably like number nine on my pecking order. And then Kem Birch for specific matchups, I would say, slots in to fill out the regular guys who are going to get postseason run. We're going to continue on, round up the show with a couple more mailbag questions from the lovely listeners out there. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars you'll ever try. I've talked about them for a long time on this podcast, and I'm telling you again, I don't like protein bars typically. They're sandy, they're gritty, they taste like crap in the mouth. The mouth feels all off. Can't have bad mouth feel, but guess what? Built Bar is delicious, and they have like a just a wonderful candy bar texture that I really vibe with. I uh, highly recommend them. If, if you're a person who likes to snack, if you're a person who doesn't like to have a heavy breakfast, for example, maybe all sorts of different uses. You know, of course, if you are trying to indulge at midnight in the snack, it's a great replacement for the candy bar or the bag of chips or whatever it is you're reaching for in the pantry. Uh, all bars contain an average 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. That's about half the calories of a regular candy bar and one eighth of the sugar. That's crazy. You're just, you're doing yourself no favors by having a candy bar at midnight. Maybe I'm the only person who has candy bars at midnight. That's also possible. And I'm just a goblin. Either way, you can get all the different flavors as well. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond. You got white chocolate cookies and cream, limited time flavor that pops up from time to time. All sorts of limited time flavors that appear for seasonal reasons all around. It's Easter coming up soon. Maybe there'll be some Easter related flavors over there. Go check them out. They have the marshmallow puffs too, which are pretty tasty. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we round out your first listen of the day here on Locked on Raptors with a couple more mailbag questions. This one comes from JBG47 on Twitter asking, as a Raptors fan, which opposing players are on your first team all annoying? This is a great question. I love it. Uh, I think Marcus Smart is the captain of this team. I talked about him a little bit yesterday. He's just a guy who I can't not respect him. Like <laughs> He's just... He's so frustrating to play against, so frustrating to watch flop around, but like it's hard to deny that if he were on your own team, you would love the hell out of that guy. You would die for that guy. And as someone who appreciated the shit heel that was Kyle Lowry for nine years with the Raptors, and I say the word shit heel with the most possible reverence and respect and good good energy. Uh, I can't not really uh, have the same feelings towards Marcus Smart. It sucks. I don't like that he's on the Celtics, and you could probably make like an all Celtics annoying team, and I'd be pretty comfortable with that too. But uh, yeah, I, I think for sure he is like the captain, the the leading shot taker, and everything on the most annoying team. 
the second guy I'll throw in, I think this is probably on everybody's team, but man, he's frustrating to watch whenever your team is playing him, but not in a way where you're worried he's going to like kill you with talent like Marcus Smart can, uh, but it's Patrick Beverly. The Raptors will play him tonight when they take on the Wolves. Uh, not looking forward to Patrick Beverly at all. I'm, I'm assuming him and Gary Trent Jr. will jaw at one another once again. Tends to be kind of how it goes. Um, so he's there. The next guy for me is, I guess we're going with like a small backcourt here, but CJ McCollum for sure is on this team. And he's not the same kind of guy who like engenders uh, anger and sports hate the way Beverly and Marcus Smart do. He seems like a pretty chill guy. Seems like actually like a guy you'd probably want to have a beer with. But uh, he's really, for some reason, just like inexplicably amazing against the Toronto Raptors. And I find that to be incredibly annoying. He's like a stealthy modern day Gerald Henderson and that he always seems to go off against Toronto. Um, part of that, I think, is probably that like the way they've defended the Blazers in recent seasons has been very Dame centric. And obviously he's not on the Blazers anymore, but McCollum was a big time benefactor of that in those games where it's always swinging to him and he's the next guy, even in games where uh, Dame hasn't been available. He was killing them. And even in that Pelicans game, when the Raptors uh, got waxed coming out of the all-star break, CJ McCollum continued his old ways there. So he is certainly there for me as well. I'm trying to think of bigs like there's not a ton of like troubling bigs out there. I would say, I mean, Embiid is annoying, but the Raptors seem to kind of have his number. So I can't be too mad about it. Honestly, like, yeah, good, good, good for you. Raptors. You, you figured out the annoying guy. And I like Embiid kind of as, as a rule, he's like the one thing about the Sixers that I find to be uh, endearing or uh, rootable. Like I just everything else I find to be detestable. You, you could probably throw Matisse Thibel in here. Um, just because he's got, like I said, when the Raptors last played the Sixers, he's got like the greatest PR team in the history of time. Like the sort of book on Matisse Thibel is far more interesting than the movie. <laughs> like it's okay. This guy can't shoot and he makes some loud defensive plays, but also can't really stay in front of a guy. Uh, he's like new Robert Covington, uh, you know, fittingly playing for the Sixers, I suppose. He's right up there, and, and like he kind of – I'll never really be happy about him snaking an all-defense spot last season despite playing fewer minutes than OG Ananobi when everyone's like, oh, OG missed too much time to be all-defense. Oh, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> get out of here. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, so Thiable's probably there. And then, yeah, a big – I mean, it's never fun playing Steven Adams. He's so likable that I don't really know if he's like my all-annoying team, but it's never a like a picnic playing against that dude. Um, and here's one. Maxi Kleba with the with the Mavericks. The Raptors have not had a lot of luck with the Mavericks in recent seasons. Luka Doncic is great, obviously, but again, kind of similar to the Dame or like the Dame CJ thing. When the Raptors sell out against Luka Doncic, it's all the other dudes who are gonna like destroy you, and it seems like it's always Maxi Kleba who is doing that. So, yeah, I guess my my starting lineup is like very small, but it's uh, smart. It's Beverly. It's McCollum. It's Thibel, and it's uh, who did I just say? Uh, Maxi Kleba is my all annoying first team against the the Raptors. Uh, great question. Love that one. Um, we're gonna continue on here and, and get into one or two more questions. This next one here comes from uh okay this one comes from scotty barn season at phoenix 7863 on twitter 
Who would be the best player in a Miami against Toronto series? That fraud with no jumper, Butler or Pascal Siakam? Uh, and to follow up that question, uh, same same guy asks, a non-Raptors take, but do you agree with the notion that Miami is the biggest pretender? They have two complete non-shooters in Bam and Butler, which already clutters their spacing on top of that. Kyle having a down year from three. Also, Duncan isn't being Steph Curry off of handoffs anymore. We talked about this yesterday, so I won't dive too much into it. But yeah, I think I agree that the Heat are the team I'd most like the Raptors to play. As much as they've done well against the Sixers, I just think you don't want to really test your luck with Embiid, honestly. I, I don't think the Sixers are any great shakes with James Harden on the team. Like, I think they're good for sure and should be at least in the second round. But I don't know. They, they seem like they're kind of ripe for an upset too. So I, I, I wouldn't hate that matchup. But Miami, for sure, to me, is the team you want right now because they just have clear weaknesses. And to the first question... I don't think they would necessarily have the best player in a series against the Raptors, at least with the way they're playing right now. Sure, in a vacuum, if you're taking them on the whole over the last couple seasons, you're probably taking Jimmy Butler over Pascal Siakam. I don't think you're telling tales at a school to say that. But this season, Butler is a non-shooter. As we've said, he's like 18 19% from three. He's been miserable in the clutch. And, of course, he screams at his coach and all that and wants to fight him and everything like that, too. Again, I don't know how much that matters. I don't know how... Uh, deep, you got to look at the sort of ongoing thing there with Butler and the Heat, and like, is he wearing out his welcome or whatever, like he has at other spots? I don't know. But just based on this season, like, Pascal has been a better player than Jimmy Butler. Like, he has driven winning, he has been there, uh, you know, he's been consistently on the floor all season long as well, which Butler has, of course, missed a lot of time. It's not his fault necessarily. Injuries happen, but, you know, Pascal has just been in better form and has been a more complete and all encompassing player. He has been driving a really good offense. Uh, at least not really good, but like a league average offense with a lot of difficult circumstance around him, lack of shooting, all of that team selling out to stop him. And he still has been an offensive engine for this Raptors team that I, it's just been mind blowing the way he's done it. So yeah, Pascal, I think in terms of current form would be the best player in a Raptors heat series. And that is pretty exciting. If you're looking at potential upset potential and things like that. I still think that he would be favorites as they probably should be They're, You know, they've been a number one seed all season long, but they're only like three and a half games up in the Raptors or whatever it is now. Like it's not like there's a lot of stratification in the Eastern conference. There's not like clear teams that are obviously better than everybody else and going to walk through to the finals. This isn't the Phoenix suns or anything like that. So yeah, the heat to me are the most prone to potentially be upset. The the Sixers are probably a pretty close second second, but yeah, the, the Sixers, the heat are, um, you know, the, they present matchup hitting opportunities for the Raptors specifically that other teams don't. And so, yeah, I think that's all well, well taken and good points there by Phoenix seven, eight, six, three on Twitter. Um, I think that's going to do it. We're going to wrap up the show there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again on tomorrow's episode. I'm actually going to record a show from the arena tonight. Uh, hopefully, I get all the camera gear and everything looks all right. But uh, yeah, I will be shooting my show from Scotiabank Arena tonight after the game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so that will be in your feeds bright and early Thursday morning. You'll have the nice, uh, it'll be just a, the backdrop of the arena, the, the, the vibe, the ambient noise. It's going to be beautiful. So you'll have that to look forward to. Tomorrow, if you're listening, you won't see the difference in terms of the setting, but hey, that's fine too. Uh, and with that, we will wrap up the show here. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen, Locked on NBA. They are covering the whole league every single night, every big game for the night before, giving you a great summation, great takeaways. Uh, if you aren't watching all these games and you just want to get a download of what happened, Locked on NBA is the place to go. Go check them out. 
And uh, yeah, go check the show out on all your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button over there. And we will talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Lockdown Raptors. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.